When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how you doing, Forever Dog listeners? My name is Don Finelli, and I host a podcast that just joined the network. It's called The Need to Fail, and I interview writers, actors, and other creatives about a time in their career where they just wanted to throw in the towel and say, you know what? Enough is enough. It's never going to work out. But more importantly, we talk about the tools they use to push past their setbacks. My past guests include Abby Jacobson, Lauren Lapkus, John Gabris, Nicole Byer, Jessica Sinclair, and the king of losing well, Chris Gethard. I got over 50 these bad boys just waiting to be heard so check it out you can find the need to fail on the forever dog podcast network apple spotify google stitcher or wherever you get your podcast nowadays let's fail together now so we can succeed tomorrow your host Rio butcher here just wanted to let you know about those live dates i got coming up but first some that are kind of far out but if you want to plan your spring because it is technically spring and very close to the beginning of baseball season. I'm going to be in Burlington, Vermont at the Vermont Comedy Club, March 7th through 9th. A bunch of shows. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to pack a ton of wool socks, and I'll see you there. But the ones coming up, I am going to be in D.C. at the Benson Ball on October 27th. That's happening. You should come to it. On Saturday, November 10th, I'm going to be at the Sacramento Comedy Spot. There's two shows, and then I'll be there the next night on Saturday, November 11th for one show. So please pick one or all three of those shows. And then in January on the 19th, I will be in Portland, Oregon at Mississippi Studios. This beginning show is sold out, so keep a lookout for maybe a second show. And on Sunday, January 20th, I will be at the Crocodile Cafe in Seattle, Washington. Please come on out and see me. I'd love to see you. I don't know, maybe make a custom shirt or something so I can take a picture of it. Would love to see your faces. Can't wait to talk to you. Thanks so much. Forever. Dog. I used to think that this was my town What a stupid thing to think I hear you biting off a brain now I myself am on the brain I used to want to be a real man I don't know what that even means What's up, 3Bs? What's up, Diamond Dogs? It's Rhea Butcher, the host of this podcast you're listening to, which is called Three Swings with Rhea Butcher, and that's me, like I already said. How's it going, everybody? Um, Just dig that? Intro song. Just wanted to say that. Thanks, Jason Isbell, and also the 400 unit. Um, I'm a little sniffly. I'm not sure why. Well, I just had some wasabi mustard. Um, highly recommend. <laughs> it's very good stuff. Give that a shot. Well, look at where we are. We're to the World Series. I got to give you a recap of how we got here, but the World Series is happening, and I'm recording this the day of the first game. I wanted to get to it faster, but but life gets in the way. I'm sorry about that. Um, thanks to everybody who uh, wrote some rosin bag questions last week. Really appreciated that. Uh, that was super nice. Um, in case anybody's wondering, the Biscuits did win game one of the LABF World Series. It was a tumultuous game. I'm still processing a lot of it, um, but we did win, which is great. Um, so game two coming up. We are the away team for that. It's going to be exciting. Um, what else is going on in my life? My life? <laughs> okay, sure. Um, so many things. Trying to sort some things out and understand what's going on in my life. I feel like maybe everybody's there. I also have taken... Look, I didn't want to make some announcement or something because I feel like that's totally the antithesis of the entire process. But I've sort of gotten off of social media in the way that I was previously on it. Um, because I felt like it was my job to do or like a duty to do. And in some ways, maybe it is. Some people said they appreciated my thoughts on stuff, which was nice. I, I tried not to take that as like, I'm like making it anything more than just saying they appreciate that. Like you would say to another person. But then I started to realize that I felt like I had to take all this in all the time and I wasn't doing a good job 
of filtering it and then also living my life. And so I haven't been fully paying attention to everything that's going on. And I've, I mean, I've been getting it in piece, bits and pieces here and there. Um, so I, I kind of know what's going on, but then I also kind of don't. And um, so I, the only thing I would say, you know, I didn't, like I said, I didn't make some announcement because I wasn't, tr- that's, that wasn't the point. <laughs> the point was to actually live and do some things in, in my life and stuff. So I know that things are tough. They're real, they're sad, but something that I've been learning in, in having done that is that there is still happiness and there is still love in the world. Um, and it's not only for privileged people, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that having happiness and joy throughout these times means that you are privileged and that it's a privilege. I actually think it is the only way for us to survive all of this stuff uh, is finding happiness and appreciating joy because if we spend all our moments in sadness and rage, then they've completely won because what they want that's what they want, you know? I mean, all of this is just... It's about money and it's about pain. And some people want both. Some people want one thing. But you can't have one without the other in terms of all the stuff that this regime is doing to already oppressed communities of people and oppressed identities of people. So I'm not saying to disregard the sadness or the pain that's happening. What I'm saying is to also give yourself the happiness and joy and love that you have in your life because life is really short. We only get so much time on this planet and then who knows what's after that? Who knows what was before this and who knows what's after that? We only have this. And if the only thing you can do is be sad and angry, if the only thing that you allow yourself to be is those things, then that's the only thing you get to be. And like I said, then they won, you know, then they've won. They've beaten you. They've won. They've taken your happiness and joy. And so try to give yourself that, you know, try to put your phone away and really have dinner with a friend, even if it's crackers on a plate at your house. Like it doesn't, you don't have to like spend money to do this. In fact, I would say don't spend money to do this. In fact, stop by somebody's house and see how they're doing. You know, like, I, I, I don't know, just something very simple. See if somebody wants to play catch with you or have a picnic, you know, watch a sunset. These things that like a couple years ago we made fun of because it, w- it was fun to make fun of it. But now it's like, hey, these might be some of the only things that get us through all of this, you know. And then you also give yourself energy to keep going and to keep fighting these things and to go to work and say, hey, man, that's not funny. When somebody makes a shitty racist, misogynist, homophobic, transphobic joke, you know, um, and then you have like a, a radically kind conversation with that person about it, even though they get angry at you so that you, as, say, a white person tries to affect change on, say, another white person and stop them from doing something that is painful to other people. But you can only do that if you take care of yourself. Um, And say you're a straight person of any ethnicity, you do the same. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, you, you have to practice, like, we we talk about self-care so much, but I don't know that we talk about it in actual real terms. Like, so often it's about, like, a face mask and Netflix, which is fine, but also you're still just consuming information. You're not actually processing any, you know? Uh, so I think going out and playing catch with people or going out and, and stopping by somebody's house and talking to them and looking in their eyes is actually processing information. So I think processing emotion and information as opposed to processing information that someone has decided that's what they want to give you. And it's been processed and paid for and all this stuff, you know, like, Get yourself some organic information, some free-range, grass-fed organic information. Okay, that's my advice for the top of this. Um, and yeah, let's. Uh, I'll just get right into it. Let's get into the the NL Championship Series up top. So, Game Six. Now, I'm gonna. I'm. Thanks, Murph. I'm gonna. 
Uh, I'm going to say up top that I did not get to watch either of these games because of work commitments. And so I've only seen clips of them because work commitments and my life situation. Look, if you came to this podcast from my original version of this called Likely Mad as Hell, you understand what I do to myself every October. I don't know why I do this, but this is what I do. I book work during this week because I have to book work before they say what the World Series schedule is. Maybe next year I won't do it. But odds are, I probably will. October is a busy time for me. <laughs> it's tough. So, hey, we all have shit going on. So the great thing is, you guys probably have a better analysis of the games that I'm going to talk about. And all I'm doing is giving you confirmation or stuff for you to scream at at your cubicle and or desk and or wherever you work. So game six, the Brewers win seven to two. There are flashbacks of last year's game seven for the Dodgers as the Brewers put the game away early with five runs in the first two innings on some impressive hitting, especially off of one of the more impressive starters uh, in the Dodgers rotation as of late with Hinjun Ryu. Um, Some impressive hitting, including doubles from Aguilar, Moustakas, and Ryan Braun, and an infield single from Kane. So the winner is Corey Knebel, and the loser there in that game is Hinjin Ryu. Now, I also think there were some weird, some, some weird uh, brewers uh, sort of uh, peacocking or whatever. And to be totally honest, like, if it's Aguilar, he gets to do it. Look, Machado made some mistakes. I think those were mistakes. He shouldn't have done that stuff. I, I argued with friend Adam Conover via text about it, and I didn't intend for it to be an argument. Sometimes when you're having a conversation, it comes across as an argument, but I didn't mean it that way. And I just think I am all about like bravado. I am all about being proud of your performance. I am all about that stuff. I'm also all about the dudes who put their head down and don't celebrate. I'm, a, I'm about all of it. I love all of it. That's why I love the game. Um, but I just will say, as someone who is a Dodger fan, and again, we're getting to the point where, yes, I'm a Dodger fan, but I'm trying to I'm trying to be as balanced as possible. I also think it's ridiculous that all of these uh, pundits uh, for baseball act as though they or that they're told they can't have favorites. I think it's ridiculous. Like it's an exciting game. Just try to try to be good and have a favorite. That's fine. Um, I just don't like the way Manny Machado plays. He's got a great arm, defensively wonderful, but he doesn't hustle out, and it's the World Series, dude. Or it's the NLCS, dude. Whoops, spoiler alert. And then at the same time, I'm conflicted because there's a part of me that wants to like the Brewers, even though they're playing my team, so I can't. But also, the, the hater bullshit is a lot because I do think that there is a world where somebody makes those mistakes because we're not going to act like those aren't mistakes, but also he probably at the time didn't give a shit. And I don't know that he really gave a shit when it came out. So it's, if, if you can apologize for, for making that mistake and doing that bullshit of being 17 and, 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 um, uh, purposely wandering into territory that you shouldn't be in, but being young enough to think none of this matters or I'm fine or being white enough or whatever it is to make that critical of a mistake and, or believe it, you know, and then years later be like, yeah, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. I do think that you can apologize and potentially be forgiven. But with that hater situation, he never really had to apologize or really take too much heat for it. And then a stadium full of white people were cheering him on as though like he's being bullied. And like, it's all along these same lines of what we see every day. And specifically the event that pushed me out of social media was Brett Kavanaugh. And the fact that I knew it was, he was going to win. There was no world where I didn't think he was going to win. And I knew how it was going to happen. And that's how it happened. And it's the same shit. It's the same shit where these people, specifically white people, and then specifically within that, very privileged white people. Now, that's not to say that underprivileged white people don't also, aren't also racist. They are. But I'm just making a distinction because the chances of 
a privileged white person getting on the Supreme Court is a lot higher than an underprivileged white per- white racist person getting on the Supreme Court. But I'm just trying to be specific to these two guys because within the world of life, they are also on top of having white privilege, very privileged on top of that, being um, a federal judge and now Supreme Court judge. And then you also have a major league baseball player. So that that is the privilege distinction that I'm trying to make in this conversation. I'm not trying to... Um, say not all white people i'm actually just trying to say specifically these two white people it works in concert together and that's why they feel so similar because you're you're essentially talking and not to um diminish brett kavanaugh's actions because he is uh at the very least someone who assaults people for fun or did um at one point in his life and never faced any consequences and then did it as a 40 something year old man and essentially broke completely down and then you have josh Hader, who is someone at the very least is like a casual bully you know um but the essentialness of both of those things is bullying you know and and one is way worse than the other in terms of this had a physical effect on someone whereas the other one is also terrible um but he didn't physically harm anyone that we're aware of so, but also has, unfortunately, a highly chilling effect on his circle of friends, his high school. Like, so it definitely harmed people. He just didn't, as far as we know, assault a person based on these, this belief system. But again, I'm not, not all white, not all white peopling because these again are two white people that did this. I'm simply trying to uh, talk about all the issues that seem to be afloat with this. So I went on this very long tangent to talk about one guy, but what's amazing is, and this actually happened in my life when I was a kid, there was a kid in kindergarten who was just a relentless bully. He just bullied everybody. He, he teased and mocked and hit and hurt. And like one day we were at after school care together and my school was an all girls school but in sixth grade, it was co-ed. So in preschool and sixth grade, it was co-ed. So there were boys in kindergarten. And there was a day that we were both in after-school care together. And he was totally alone because nobody wanted to play with him because he was mean. He was very mean. And I remember, like, playing with him or trying to. I remember striking up playing with him. Whoever started it. I don't know if it was me or him, but however it happened... I'm not saying I'm like some hero that reached out or whatever. I just, we started playing together and then he threw a snowball with rocks in it at me. And then I was like, I'm done. This is ridiculous. And then something like a month later, his father came into school before school started and demanded he speak to the entire class and told us all that we needed to stop treating his son like garbage and that we were all mean and his son is sad. And it was one of the craziest things, one of the wildest things I've ever experienced. And my mom still talks about it, like how ridiculous it was. But it's the same thing where like, the, these people are bullies. These people are are violent, whether physically or emotionally, to other people. And then when they get caught on it now, everybody acts like they're being bullied. Like being called out for your behavior is being then bullied and we're all supposed to stop and not do that. And that's why them like cheering for Josh Hader really bummed me out and bummed a lot of people out because you should have to apologize for a week, I don't know, a little bit of time and be like, yeah, I see how this was wrong. I didn't at the time. I thought it was something I could just joke about. And I realize now this is not a joke. How hard is that to put your head down and go, oh, this, this isn't a joke and it's not something I should have been joking about. And I, I get that now and it's affected my teammates and I'm sorry for that. Like literally how hard is that? It's not. And it makes it worse when you don't. Because then everybody else is spinning their wheels about it and then then it's just this fight that never ends. So anyway, I wanted to like the Brewers because come on, it's like they're the uh, low payroll, small market, middle of the Midwest. It's going to be snowing there soon. But I just, you know, like it's, it sucks. So anyway, so the Dodgers lose uh, game six, Brewers win game six. It's not looking great for the Dodgers because it feels like a flashback again. So then we go into game seven and I 
I mean, I went to game five. It felt great. It felt like, oh, they're working again. And then game six was like, oh, well, game five was a fluke. But game seven, I also didn't get to watch. So Dodgers win five to one. I did get to catch. I listened to the end of the very end of the game via the Outbat app in a a lift back from my job to my hotel that I thought was going to kill me twice. <laughs> so that was a fun experience. Um, so I listened to the end of that game and then I, I caught the ESPN highlights of the Taylor catch and the Bellinger home run and the Puig three run shot. Um, Yelich hits his first home run of the NLCS in the bottom of the first, but that was the Brewers only run in the game. Yelich, unfortunately just couldn't keep the magic going and honestly looked looked very in his head at the plate every time he was at the plate it felt like to me I'm not sure if you all felt the same but um I yeah he just didn't seem he seemed maybe in over his head or unsure of himself it was difficult and so uh home runs from Bellinger and Puig like I said put the Dodgers up five to one and a catch of the year candidate from Chris Taylor. I mean, I definitely, if you're going to have a postseason catch of the year, it's a tie between him and Ben Intendi, um, which we'll get to in a moment. I mean, the Taylor catch is one of those ones where you're like, wow, that is a Hail Mary of a catch. And the Ben Intendi one is almost like, wow, this guy can do some crazy stuff. So they're almost like two different catches of the year to me. Because the Taylor one, I mean, you watch him just watch it into the glove and he's literally praying it's going to go in there. Um, he robbed Yelich of another RBI and ended the fifth, which was basically the nail in the coffin for the Dodge for the Brewers. And Kershaw pitched the ninth to end the game. So the win goes to Ryan Madsen, who is not a dude that I'm necessarily proud of having on my team either. Um, and the loss goes to Chassin. So the Dodgers go back to the World Series. I think everyone probably predicted it would be the Astros more than the Dodgers, but it is the Dodgers. And my my take on this and I I could be wrong but my take on because I didn't get to watch everything but my take on this is that Craig Council breaking Dave Roberts actually worked in Dave Roberts benefit because he actually then had to allow the Dodgers to play baseball as opposed to tennis and it worked out also there's a world where Jeffress doesn't blow it I feel bad for that guy I do like him he seems like a solid dude and he throws gas but like he just he couldn't do it um, and it's unfortunate, you know, I, I also wonder if the Rockies being out of gas, had the Cubs beat the Rockies, would the Brewers have, uh, it's not that I don't think the Brewers wouldn't have made it to the NLCS. What I think is that the Brewers would have been tested harder and then would have maybe beaten the Dodgers in the NLCS because the Brewers had a great team and they had a good thing going but they weren't tested enough by the Rockies. The Rockies scored two runs. And and that is always big to me. Like, have you have you been pushed? Have you been tested? Have you seen what you need to see to go on to this next level? And I don't think they did. Um, they, they played a completely taxed team that just could not hit. So that's my take on the NLCS. Moving on to the ALCS. The Red Sox win 4-1 to one in terms of games. Did anyone think that was going to happen? Absolutely not. Definitely not. The Astros. Uh, game five, the Red Sox win 4-1 to one in Houston. Similar-ish to the Dodgers in Milwaukee. I was just on uh, Pals, uh, Greg, and Hayward's podcast, uh, then the, uh, the Duck Snort podcast, which is coming out soon, um, and we were talking about how sad it is that essentially every postseason, every level of the postseason is, for the most part, decided on the visitor's turf and it's such a bummer, but there's no other way to do a uh, home and field advantage. It almost always guarantees that you're going to be clinching away, which is just not, it's less satisfying. <laughs> I would say from a, as a fan uh, of teams, it's definitely not satisfying for many reasons. You know what I mean? Cause like that way, if you lose, then somebody's winning on your turf. And that way, if you win, they're not, where you are. So it's like, it's just, just so dissatisfying. Uh, but the Red Sox win four to one in Houston. David Price pitches six scoreless innings with nine Ks, similar to uh, Clayton Kershaw uh, in game five and zero walks. JD Martinez and Raphael Devers hit homers. And that was it for Houston. Justin Verlander 
they had his number. They really just did. And they could not, they just, they just couldn't do it. And I have been saying this a ton. I mean, the thing is you have two, two cheating teams facing each other and which one's going to win. Well, the Red Sox won. Now, am I saying this because I don't think either team is good? No, I'm saying this because these are the two teams that got in trouble for cheating last year. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, the, I mean, Houston figured out Kimbrell's pitches. They figured out that he was tipping his, Boston figured out he was tipping his pitches. Everything changed. Not everything, but a lot changed. Houston is so big on data. They figure everything out. And then they, I mean, w- when I say cheat, it's cheating that's existed in baseball forever. So I'm not talking about like, oh, they're using drugs and they're using this and that and like super nefarious means. I'm just saying like they're, they're stealing signs and they're definitely pine tars involved for Houston. It's been an issue. So uh, this is not shots fired at any teams. I'm just saying like, you guys know this is happening. So then when two teams that do it the most run into each other, one of them's going to have the other one's number more. And it turned out that it was the Red Sox. Also the Red Sox just have a thing going right now, mainly that they have Mookie Betts and Andrew Benintendi (laughs) and JD Martinez. So that's what I think about that. Um, so I did get to watch some of that game, and holy moly, that Mookie Betts throw was just a thing of beauty. That's baseball. Um, I hope you all join me in the Twitter revolution, which because I do get on every now and then. Uh, me, Paul F. Tompkins, base buddies in general, uh, when something good happens, just saying baseball, because uh, it's a pretty, it's a it's a fun, neutral way of supporting a team and also just saying, I love this thing, baseball. So anyway, that's my that's my battle cry is baseball. Um, so we'll be back after this with my World Series preview. I'm so excited to tell you about a lovely meal kit delivery service that I'm obsessed with. It's called HelloFresh. HelloFresh shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can cook, eat, and enjoy. My favorite HelloFresh meal is the Chipotle taco casserole. I love casseroles and I love tacos. It's so good. Here's how it works. There are three plans to choose from. Classic, veggie, that's me, and family. So forget planning dinner, spending money on takeout at 10 p.m., or worrying about gathering ingredients week after week. All the ingredients come pre-measured in handy, labeled meal kits so you know which ingredients go with which recipe. The recipes are simple and the instructions are outlined on pictured step-by-step cards, so it's super hard to screw it up. Spend less time meal planning and grocery shopping each week and get that time back to do more of what you love, like baseball. Most recipes take only 30 minutes, so you can listen to three swings while you prepare your meal. And HelloFresh is a subscription service, so your meals come to you week after week just when you need them. So we have a very special offer for all you threebies out there. For a total of $60 off, that comes to $20 off your first three boxes, visit HelloFresh.com slash Baseball60 and enter promo code Baseball60. That's HelloFresh.com slash Baseball60 and enter promo code Baseball60 for $60 off HelloFresh. All right, we are back. Going to have a World Series preview and then a few rosin bags. So thank you again for sending those in. I really appreciate it. Uh, Bench coach Brett writing me some fantastic notes as always. And I just want to take a moment to shout out bench coach Brett and bench coach Tris. No, this is it's condescending. Uh, And bench coach Amy. uh, Congratulations on their nuptials. They eloped, which is wonderful. They had a party over the weekend that I was working during, so I was un- unable to attend. But please send some love out to them in the world. Um, wonderful people, having a wonderful life together. Very happy for them. So, Brett wants to know, how did the Dodgers get here? Despite their star power and late-season acquisition of Machado, they didn't even clinch a playoff berth until the last weekend of the season. With a month left in the season, they were two games out of the wild card. And going back to the beginning of the season, they lost 26 of their first 42 games, falling 10 games below 500 on May 16th. So what happened, and how does this team compare to last year's team? I think a couple things happened. Number one, the Arizona Diamondbacks imploded. The Giants ran out of steam, even though they were never in contention, but the Giants are always going to try to stop the Dodgers. 
Um, and then it was basically them and the Rockies fighting out the wild card. Um, and what I think happened for the Dodgers is that number one, Max Muncie was consistent. Number two, Cody Bellinger didn't completely lose faith. Number three, Rich Hill pitches very well. Hinjun Ryu came back. Walker Bueller became a thing. Um, just enough pieces were grinding away late enough in the season while Arizona was fading that they were able to see this was possible. And what I think in terms of comparing them to last year's team, last year's team to me was untested. Now, you might disagree with that because of their August slump where they pretty much didn't win a game. But to me, that's not being tested. When you just start losing, the pendulum swung so hard. It wasn't that they were losing games. They were lost. So they went from being like just totally 100% winning in a way that everyone was in shock about to 100% losing in a way that everyone was completely in shock. So then they pretty much couldn't lose their spot and they went into the playoffs going, what just happened? And then got it together enough to get into the World Series and then ran into a team that had it going on better than they did for a bunch of reasons. Also, Dave Rod Roberts overmanaged them completely in the World Series, 100%. Like, that's just true. So those are the things. Um, and in terms of comparing them to last year, like on paper, the 2017 Dodgers seem way better than the 2018 Dodgers. But when I look in the field... The 2018 Dodgers are way better than the 2017 Dodgers because they've been there, they've lost it, and they don't want that to happen again. So that's not to say that they're not going to let it happen again. I just think that there's something about them that are like, they're not going to get stunned. They're not going to get shocked. They're going to go, we've still got this, which is why they won game seven because they just played baseball. They lost game six and they didn't go we're screwed and Dave Roberts didn't make a shit ton of moves and they just played baseball and then they won like they did it Hinjin Ryu got blown out but then he came back or or no he didn't come back because he can't pitch again uh, they they just they didn't they didn't fall all the way down they weren't standing at the top of the dugout with huge eyes going what did we do they kept going so that is what I think is the benefit to the Los Angeles Dodgers going into the World Series. Um, that's what I think they have going for them. There's also an interesting stat that is neither here nor there, but they were showing the last 10 years of World Series, and every 10 years, the team on the most rest has not won the World Series. So just an interesting stat to take into your world. Doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to happen, because if there's anything I've learned about Baseball in the recent years, because of the era that we're currently in in terms of baseball, is that it doesn't matter what's happened before. This is a whole new era where everything is getting redone. Um, also, something interesting to point out is that at, in terms of the Dodgers and the Red Sox, these two teams have never met in the World Series. Um, they met in 1912 as the Dodgers were something else that is escaping me right now because I didn't write it down. Um, so you probably know what it is, or you could Google it. But these teams, as they stand, have not met before. And also, shout out to Wayland, because uh, from that Ducks Norse podcast, he mentioned before, and I think I said this, or maybe I refrained, because I was trying not to jinx or predict anything, but the Los Angeles Dodgers, on this trip to the World Series, and in the World Series, will have played a team in every location that the Bravos have existed. So... Atlanta, Milwaukee, and Boston, which is an interesting and fun kind of a stat, right? I think it's funny. Um, just a funny, weird thing. Every every level of the playoffs, they played uh, in a city where that team had been or is currently located. Just kind of funny. Um, so, if the Red Sox win, should they be considered an all-time great team? Only five teams in the expansion era since 1961 have won at least 108 games and the World Series. The 61 Yankees, the 70 uh, Orioles, the 75 Reds, the 86 Mets, and the 1998 Yankees. So if the Sox win the series, they would join this club. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> I think so. 
because that's that's pretty rare error up there with those teams. Yes, you do that, and you win the World Series. Yeah, all time great teams. I don't care what your, I don't care that their rotation isn't great. I don't care that their bullpen isn't great. I don't care. Don't care. Don't care. Uh, they they're in there. I think that uh, not surprisingly, the Red Sox are heavily favored. The Sox won 16 more games than the Dodgers in the regular season, which is tied for the third biggest win differential in World Series history. I mean, I'm not. I am refraining from making a prediction upon which team wins the World Series for multiple reasons. One, I don't know. For the first year of my life, I couldn't tell you. I'm fifty-fifty, so that's what I think. Not and and then two, I have a dog in the fight, so I feel like it's weighted. And three, I I actually, if if I take myself out of my fandom, I actually really like both of these teams. Like, with the exception of Machado, and then also, like, some of the dudes on the Boston Red Sox, I don't like their personal beliefs, but that doesn't, because none of them have really been hyper-aggressive this year in expressing those beliefs, I am not counting that against liking the team. So, it's kind of difficult, because I find them both uh, good. (laughs) So, I just don't know. I think it could literally go either way, but I do think it will go to seven games, because I don't think... I don't think the Red Sox will do to the Dodgers what they were able to do to the Astros, which is nuts because the Astros on paper had way more going for them. But I also think, you know, World Series hangover is a real thing and their belief that they were just going to get there sometimes gets in your way. And I kind of have felt like that about the Astros. Like, yeah, they've got charm and they're, they're fun and all this stuff, but I also think they're kind of cocky and like that kind of gets in your way sometimes. But I could be wrong, but that's just kind of my read on the situation. So, I mean, of course the Red Sox are heavily favored. Also, this has got this is like the biggest World Series ratings boon. I mean, the only thing that could have been better is the Dodgers versus the Yankees and shout out to Enzo from the LABF from saying that. So, I'm that's not my thought. I he thought of it. This is probably second best, right? And that's no ding to the Red Sox. I just think TV money really loves the Yankees. They really wanted the Yankees to do it, but they did not. So, it's the Dodgers and the Red Sox, which I think is really exciting, and it's honestly what I wanted to see. I either wanted to see the Dodgers and the Astros do it again, or I wanted to see the Red Sox and the Dodgers. But also, I wanted to see the Red Sox and the Brewers because the Brewers felt like they had a really awesome thing going that was going to go the distance, and I thought they would be tough on each other. But that didn't happen, so I'm really happy about the Dodgers being back in the World Series again. So what has to happen for the Red Sox to win? Uh, I think what has to happen for the Red Sox to win is that their starters need to do well. I know this is very simple. Um, they need to keep going, keep doing what they've been doing. And I think that they need to trust their bullpen, but they also need to, their starters need to go deeper than they've been going in the last couple of games they have. So if that's, if that works for them, they'll be good. Also Mookie Betts has to be good at second base. Cause I think that's the biggest if for me. Because you have two games in Boston where it's very cold and that could be a problem for the Dodgers. Uh, And then, so if the Dodgers steal one of those, then you come back to LA and you have Mookie Betts playing second base and J.D. Martinez in right field. And J.D. Martinez is not good at defense. And Mookie Betts is very good at defense, but in right field. And that's not to say that he, he won't play second base decently. It's just that Yes, he played second base in the minor leagues. Yes, he's done it before. Yes, he's a professional baseball player. But do you know how big of an adjustment it is to go from the outfield to infield? It's a huge, it's a huge, huge adjustment. And then to do it uh, in, you know, a completely different climate and then also in the World Series, it's a lot. It's a lot to ask of a dude who I think is totally up for the task. But I also think... It's got a lot of potential. It, it, it's it's big. I just think it's big. So when they lose the DH, I think that's a big, big win for the Dodgers that they need to exploit, and hopefully they will. Um, you know, they have a lot of left-handed bats. So basically, my same what has to happen for the Red Sox is the same for the Dodgers. Like, but with the added uh, caveat that Dave Roberts needs to chill out and not swap everybody not like pinch run pinch hit everybody every goddamn inning like let them see the pitches three times like it's it's ridiculous there's no rhythm like you're you you are not allowing your your hitters to get in a rhythm and see things so like then but he hopefully he sees 
that when you do that, you let they hit. So maybe hopefully he does that, but I, I don't know. He doesn't tend to do that. Also just a nice, um, thing to shout out my friend, Mike baseball. These, this is the first time that two minority quote minority managers have met in the world series. So that is, Hey, look at what's going on. I mean, you have a team with, uh, in terms of black players of a highly racist history. And then you have the other team that is known for integrating first, but also a lot of racism towards other races and also still black players. So it's not solved, but to have these two teams meeting each other in the world series for the very first time, and also have them be led, uh, by, uh, uh, men of color, um, is a big moment. I think in baseball and culturally, so I'm not going to step on it. And I think that it's powerful and uh, I'm really excited. They work together in the Dodgers organization. They've worked together before. So I think it's going to be really great. And that is my only prediction that I think this is going to be a really good world series. I think it's going to be as exciting as the previous two. And um, I'm really looking forward to it. And I think it's going to go seven games. Um, so we'll be back after this with Rosenbag. All right, we're back with the rosin bag, your favorite section. I got Katie at Boats in a Fog. Would you rather do play-by-play or color? That's a great question. And I think that I, can I be the person that does both? It seems like there's people that do both. (laughs) I mean, I think maybe I would probably want to start out doing play-by-play so that I could get that skill and then maybe move over to color. Because like somebody like Vin Scully, not to say that I could be the caliber of that person at all, but somebody like Vin Scully is doing both. He didn't have anybody else up in the booth with him. So like that would be more the style of what I would be wanting to do is like telling the story of the game that's happening in front of me. That's, I think, what I would want to do. Thanks, Katie, for that wonderful question. That's pretty great. It's a dream, but I don't know that that's ever going to happen. But, you know, I dare to dream. Uh, Ryan Travels and Eats at Ryan Travels and Eats. Uh Once my team is eliminated and Cleveland was handily eliminated, I cheer for teams of people I like. My girlfriend is a Red Sox fan, but Rhea is a Dodgers fan. Who do I cheer for in the World Series? The Red Sox. (laughs) Go with the girlfriend. Go with the... It's it's nice that you like me and that you're kind and we have the Cleveland connection and stuff. Um, But also, like, think about which team you like more. And then make a decision from there, maybe. But also, you should probably cheer with your girlfriend. If you don't feel any affinity for either of these teams, then you should definitely go with the girlfriend. I mean, it's going to be more fun. You know what I mean? It's not It's not fun to cheer for opposite teams in the World Series. It's just not fun. I've been there. It's not fun. Don't do it if you don't have to. Cool. Sandra Coleman at Sandra Coleman. What are your thoughts on folks who show up late? Slash, leave early for games. Do you stay until the end? I was surprised how many people were late to the Dodgers-Brewers game last night, game four, and especially how many people left before the nail-biter end. Uh, here, Okay, so here are my thoughts on folks who show up late and leave early for games. Number one, I don't judge people for what they're able to do. I try not to. However, it is my preference to show up early and get there. I like to see first pitch, but I also like to avoid the national anthem. So... I get kind of in a pickle where I end up just walking through the hallway, which is a little weird, but I like to be there for the beginning of the game. If I can hear the lineups, great, but then I have to be there for the national anthem and I don't like doing that. Um, So, but I do like to get there for the beginning of the game. I'm not the kind of person that shows up in the third or the fourth or, or even the middle of the first I've been late and it's always been an accident and, and I don't, I, I don't prefer it, but that's me personally. And I've only left two games early in my life. And one of them was JD Martinez four home run game off of four different pitchers here in Los Angeles. And it was, I mean, it was a thing to see, you know, it was for sure. But I also was in a new section of Dodger stadium that was not welcoming at all and felt very uncomfortable. And then at the same time, it was a very deflating game. And I left for the first time ever. I left a baseball game, a major league baseball game before it was over. Um, and then the other time I got sad and I had to leave. I was with some friends that I really love, but I got sad and I I couldn't stay. So that was just difficult, but it's not a thing that I do because 
number one, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm cheap, but when I pay for something, I like to experience it. And so I just don't, you know, to me, like going late and, and staying and leaving early is kind of like, why did you come to this? You know? But at the same time, I live in Los Angeles and I know what it's like to get to these games. And I think something that people don't aren't able to necessarily implement when they look at Dodger games is that they think there there are a bunch of like fair weather fans. Now, I'm not debating you that that doesn't exist, but also people have jobs here and a lot of the jobs here go from 10 to 6 and the games start at six or seven. And typically your commute from those jobs is from the west side to the east side, which in terms of miles is not that far, but in terms of time, it's about an hour. So if unless you're taking off of work early, which a lot of the people that go to these games have to work, uh, and, and also if you're, if you're talking about the seats behind home plate, those seats are very expensive and are mostly owned by people. Especially and people who are famous or working very high up in the industry. So they don't always go to the games and they don't always find somebody for the tickets to go to. And so that's why sometimes those seats are empty or they don't fill up because somebody was working till six or seven. Is this an excuse? No, I'm just simply explaining the dynamic of the place. And that's why people show up late. Also, you should see the traffic trying to get in and out of that place. It is... It's actually a nightmare, but it's just a nightmare that you have to deal with if you want to go watch these guys play baseball. And sometimes you do. Um, the thing I always do is take a lift close to the stadium and then I walk in and it's so much better because it's actually a really beautiful walk. But that is why Dodger Stadium looks the way that it looks because you have there is no public transportation that isn't on surface roads because there's public transportation to the game, but public transportation, there's no train you know, like Wrigley Field, there's a train stop right there. Uh, U.S. Cellular, discount rate field, whatever it's called. The the same train services the White Sox and the Cubs. You can get on a train and you can walk directly into the stadium. And the only thing you have to deal with is foot traffic and crowds of people. So that can make you late. But you don't have to, you don't have to drive. Um, other stadiums, like Cleveland, it's very easy to get into it. It's packed too, but you drive or you walk a couple blocks from a parking, a satellite parking. But Dodger Stadium is set inside of a hill and you have to drive very far into it to get to it. And there are just lines of cars and lines of buses. There is no efficient way for someone to get in there other than what I just described. And then that also takes time. You know, a minimum of 20 minutes to get to close enough to walk and then another 20 minutes to a half an hour to walk into the stadium. And that's a lot of time. And if you have a full-time job, you have to work around that. So this is a very long-winded answer for the Dodger Stadium thing because a lot of people just see that and go, fair weather fans, which I get. But there's actually a lot that goes into it and the logistics of it are very, it's all wheels. It's all surface roads and that gets congested quickly. So that creates, I would say, 60% of why people are so late. And I also think um, sometimes you just get really dejected in a game and you leave. Uh, but I mean, people were leaving in game five where we, I mean, we were like handily winning and people left. So it's also that like people leave early when the Dodgers are winning because they're like, I don't want to sit in this traffic and they're going to win, you know? So, which I get, I live here. I get it. Sometimes you're like, I just don't want to do it. So you leave in the eighth, but I, I don't like to. I like to I like to hear I love LA at the end of a game that they win. I also love to hear California love at the end of a game that they win. So, but again, I, I try not to be the kind of person that is like looking down my nose at people's choices. People got to do what they got to do. And so I, I have the way I operate. And like, if you operate that way, cool, we've got that in common. And then if you don't, then I, I mean, that's cool. You're still going to a baseball game. That's fun. You're still into it. I'm not going to act like you stink, you know, whatever. That's your, that's how you live your life. Um, somewhat related on Sunday morning, I got back from Minneapolis. And so I put some Dodger stuff on and I went in to buy some, uh, Gatorade in my neighborhood. And this guy that I kind of know, cause I'm a regular in the spot, I go in a lot and I bring my dog. And so people remember, remember you by your dog. And he was like, Oh, still sporting the Dodgers from the win last night. Huh? And I was like, still, it happened last night. This is Los Angeles. Why would I not be excited? And I always wonder, like, 
I mean, I, I just think sometimes people don't filter what they're saying and they don't think that someone else is going to be like, why are you saying this to me? Because it's almost like a gentle bullying where you're like, you could have just said go Dodgers. I mean, I guess you're not a Dodger fan or whatever. That must be what it is. But I also wonder, like, would you be saying this to like a big bulky dude? Probably not. But also like, I don't know, because I'm not I'm not a big bulky dude. So I don't know. But it's just weird to me when people like, yeah, of course I am. It's L.A. Why wouldn't I still be excited? It's not even 24 hours yet. Of course I'm excited. It's not like I had face paint on. I just <laughs> I had a shirt and a hat on. It's not that crazy. Um, or not that wild, you know? Um, anyway, just very silly. I don't get it. Um, I just, you know, I was excited because I really didn't think they were going to win when they got into the postseason. I was like, well, let's see how far this goes. And Hey, they did it. And my friend Hank was like, Hey, didn't doubt it for a second. (laughs) So, you know, I was like, whatever happens happens. And then, yeah, don't doubt it for a second. But, um, you know, I, I, let's see, let's see how this goes. Seven games, I think though. Um, so this has been wonderful. It's been great talking to you all. Um, I have some work that <laughs> requires me to be out of town during the Saturday game of the World Series. Look, I don't know why I do this to myself, but this is what happens. So I am going to try my damnedest to get out a World Series diary style, going back to likely mad as hell, uh, a game recap. It probably won't be as deep and I'll probably, it'll probably just be, you know, a half hour episode. Um, so we'll go back to that for the world series. And then I'm going to take a little bit of a breather, uh, probably have a recap and hopefully that lines up with my breather. And then we'll be back and talking about some, uh, some baseball movies and maybe some other stuff that you suggest to me. We'll find out. Um, but this has been a great episode. It's been wonderful talking to you. I can't believe it's the Red Sox and the Dodgers, but it is a dream come true. I'm excited about it. I hope you are too. Watch this stuff with your friends. Put your phone away or only use it to text other friends. Don't get on Twitter and all that stuff. It's just take a little time for yourself during this World Series. You know, just if, if this is something you love, just like let's love it together. You know, there's there's a lot of shit in it that sucks and there's a lot of shit out of it that sucks. But let's just try to enjoy this thing together. Okay? Baseball. So if you like this podcast, number one, tell a friend. It's a great way to grow this show. And number two, if you can rate, review, and subscribe, that would be fantastic. And number three, tweet about it. I'm very grateful to everybody that tweets about the show. I really appreciate it. Very helpful. Very kind. It makes me feel good. It makes you feel good, hopefully. Um, So, yeah, I want to keep making this thing. Um, Yeah, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all kinds of stuff. Shout out to Forever Dogs. Shout out to Brett and Amy. Congratulations on your new bench coachedness. And uh, yeah, as always, I'm Rhea Butcher, and if you liked it, you liked it. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.